So the first three chapters of Ephesians was really all that Christ has done for us and how we are in him. And they're all the blessings come, not because we earn it or we will earn it in the future or we're worthy of it. It's simply by God's grace. Now, starting in chapter four through the rest of the book, he's like, okay, now here's how to walk in the blessings, in the grace that God's given us. And we looked last week in, in verse 17 of chapter 4 of Ephesians at a very important verse, but a very important concept. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So he is telling the church there that it is a possibility for a Christian to walk as they did as a non-Christian and that it should stop. Now, because of the conditioning of Calvinism or some type of variance of Calvinism, they basically taught you that when you start a pattern of sinning, you probably were never predestined before time began. Or if you're a many and you lost your salvation. Either way, it's a, it's a great concern to, to worry whether you're going to make it to heaven or not. Because I'm, I'm struggling with my flesh and I'm struggling with sin. And, and Paul here, he doesn't give any indication of that. We see in 1 Corinthians where the church was very carnal, where he said, I, I can't even speak to you of spiritual things. I, I got to talk to you like carnal men. And I, I can only present the, the things that are babe, baby Christians can learn. But he in no wise tells them to question their salvation. He just actually says you're going to have a lack of reward uh, if you don't begin to walk obediently and in a mature way and quit being divisive. And so we understand that becoming a believer, we have a complete free choice. We're, we're believers, but we have a complete free choice. Now, I would love it. The day I became born again, God said, I'm going to help you with your flesh. From now on, you can only choose to obey me a lot, obey me a little, or really, really obey me. And that's my only choice is everything else is stopped. Anybody would love that? I would love that. I want to please God. I don't want to live in my flesh. But God doesn't do that. We still, like Adam and Eve in the garden, got the full spectrum of choice to obey God or completely rebel and be disobedient uh, to God. I, I hate that, that that's still a possibility, but we find ourselves wrestling with that. We often find ourselves as hypocrites. The things I really, really want to do that'll please the Lord, I'm not doing those. The things I don't want to do, I, I find myself doing them. And, and, we, and we are just bewildered by this. Well, stop being bewildered. Um, God has caused us to be born again, not to walk in fear or paranoia or worry. He's called us to walk in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the, the key isn't, if you start sinning, you better start worrying about whether you're saved. And let me give you a good speaking to here. 
and, and tell you, you have a lot to worry about. You need to go home and really ask yourself, are you even really saved? Or get your life right. Get, get your act together. Come and rededicate your life to the Lord and then start doing better. And you're like, amen, brother. Where, where do I sign up to that, that rededication thing? I'll do that uh, because I need a fresh start again. And next week, I'll probably need another fresh start. And eventually, it, is, it starts wearing you down going, man, I'm just never going to get this Christian thing. I'm just too weak, too sinful. I give up. That's exactly where the devil wants you. This is why we have the doctrine of the New Testament that says, look, as a Christian, you can be a Christian and still walk like the Gentiles walked in the futility of their mind. But you don't have to. Let me give you some keys, Paul says. Let me give you some pointers on how to win over sin. You notice how that in English that rhymes? Isn't that clever of me? How to win over sin. So verse 21. If, or often, it's better translated in our English, since. It's the same Greek word. I think often it's better that way. Since, indeed, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So last week we ended in verse 20, but you have not learned Christ. We did not see Jesus in the flesh living in the futility of his mind walking as a non-believer walks. And Jesus throwing up his hands and going, guys, we're in human flesh. We really can't be anything better than a bunch of carnal sinners, so quit trying. We're going to all be in heaven in our new bodies. Then you can live holy. Until then, live and let live. We didn't learn Christ that way. Christ was tempted in all points we were tempted, yet he didn't sin. And he was put in a horrible situations beyond what in our lifetime will ever be put in. And he still resisted sin and won. That's his example. And he, he says that that's the way we've learned and heard and were taught by him, by his words, but also by his example. This is what Jeremiah prophesied when the Messiah would come, that every man would no longer need to teach his neighbor in Jeremiah 31, 34, and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for all of us shall know the Lord from the least to the greatest. And I love this, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. The first thing you're gonna learn when you don't need to teach anybody anymore is that God is a forgiving God and constantly not only forgives our sins, but forgets them. That's important because we often think God forgives our sins, but he's getting fed up. <laughs> he's got this list. Man, that's the 300th sin this week, Brian. I'm going to raise them by the end of the month, and you'll have a new month starting over. Or, you know, I'm going to keep track this year, and, you know, starting the new year, I'll wipe them out. But right now, I, I, I've forgiven you, but uh, this is starting to wear thin. No. Every time we ask God to forgive, he blots it out. And if you come back tomorrow going, God, remember that sin I confessed yesterday? I confess it again because I, I'm really still feeling guilty and, and really ashamed of myself because I know better and I've been a Christian for 10 years. And, and God says, what sin? Remember the one we talked about yesterday? Did you confess it? Yeah, I did. Then I, I'm sorry, I have, I have no 
condemnation for that sin whatsoever. I, I, I have nothing to discuss with you about it. it. It's over and done. Now, let's talk about your other sins you committed between 7.30 and 8 o'clock this morning. No. <laughs> In 1 John 2, verse 27, but the anointing which you've received from him abides in you. You do not need that anyone teach you as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it was taught you, you will abide in him. Now, if you read in context this chapter, their choice was hear heretics teach about Jesus or to hear nobody teach about Jesus. <laughs> Just go to the Bible yourself. And, and John is saying, just go to the Bible yourself. Don't listen to the heretics. And there's just times we need to remember that God has given to the church. We just studied this last week, I think it was, or the week before, that God's given to the church pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists to equip us, to preach, to teach, to build us up in the Lord. But if your choice is the ability to have no church, I, I, I remember years back when Yugoslavia was going into a war, ended up coming out of that war no longer existing, it ended up being Serbia and so forth. But when they went into that war, they were like, hey, the, the Americans have to leave. And, and uh, it's a good possibility that would have to happen. And what happens if we can't have a church? And I was there right before and I said, hey, I read this verse and said, hey, the Holy Spirit's in you. God's speaking through his word. If you don't have a pastor or teacher or a church, God, God is here with you. And you can read the Bible and the Lord will preach the sermon directly to you. If you have a chance for good teaching, then great. That'll, that'll rocket you ahead in your growth. You may not grow as fast without the various giftings in the church, but that doesn't mean that you can't continue to grow just by you and the Word and the Holy Spirit who lives in you. A matter of fact, Jesus talks about this in John 14, 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, he will teach you, notice this, all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. So, how, so we learn from Christ. And we often say, oh, I wish I could go back in time and be one of the apostles or be a fly on the wall when Jesus is just talking to his group of apostles or be there when he fed the 5,000. And, and John writes in 1 John, hey, we had no advantage over you right now. Yes, we heard him, we touched him, we saw him. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit in us now is as great and as powerful as it was having Jesus physically in presence. A matter of fact, it's greater than having Jesus in physical presence. You're not lacking anything. You're really not. So let your joy be full. You're not, you're not, you didn't get shortchanged by not being able to hang out with Jesus for three years on earth. Because his Holy Spirit will hang out with you all the time, 24 hours a day, until you're face to face with the Lord. And so we've learned of Christ, we've seen his example, and we all know the truth that is in Jesus. We'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And here's what we know about our sin nature, is that God is not saying it's okay to just sin because you're in human flesh 
and I'll forgive every sin. So just go ahead and sin. And to be honest with you, we can't do much better than just being this horrible sinner. It's sort of like Archie Bunker, if you remember that TV show where he's like, hey, I am, I am what I am and I'm not going to change. All you guys need to change to put up with me, but I'm not going to change. We don't, we don't want that. Matter of fact, Paul rebukes that doctrine in 1 Thessalonians 4. Bear with me as I read these eight verses and listen. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should know that you should abound more and more just as you've received uh, from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave through the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that's holiness being worked out in our human flesh. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, referring to our physical human body, in sanctification, and I love this, in honor. We, we know about honor, don't we? To be honorable towards your spouse or honorable in business. If you can't wrap your mind around the sanctification word, just take your body and, and be this honorable person. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's often the biggest thing that guys in particular are wrestling with is lust and, and uh, adultery in, in their hearts at least. And, and that no one should take an advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, saying it's okay if you live in the, the lust of your passions or your flesh. It's okay, don't worry about it. God will forgive you, just it is what it is. No, don't let anybody defraud you on this topic because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Listen to verse seven. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who has given us of his Holy Spirit. So his Holy Spirit is leading us. And if when we're sinning, we have that Holy Spirit's conviction. We sense often the grieving of the Holy Spirit or the quenching of the Holy Spirit as we are heading into a flesh life or a pattern of that. So God is light, and the Holy Spirit is leading us to walk in Jesus in that light. In 1 John 1, 5 and 6, this is the message you heard from him and declared to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's where ultimately we'll be when we're in our new bodies in heaven, and our goal now to be sanctified is to get as close to that as we possibly can. If we say that we have fellowship with him, Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's pretty heavy stuff. Now, before we go on, you say, well, walk in light perfectly as Jesus in the light with zero darkness. I am, I'm dead. Look at the next verse. Look, look at 1 John 1, 7. For if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with Jesus and each other human beings. And notice, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. If walking in the light was to be perfect, as Jesus is perfect, then why would we need the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all sin? Do you get that? Even as we are attempting to walk in the light as he is in the light, we're not. We're sinning. We're struggling with our flesh. We're fighting our flesh. 
But as I attempt to walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Christ is nonstop working 24 hours a day, cleansing me and keep on cleansing me from all my sin. So am I walking in the light as Jesus in the light? No. Am I consciously trying to walk in the light as he is in the light? Yes. Am I sinning? Yes. But why does it look like I'm walking perfectly in the light? Because he's cleansing me, I'm looking like I'm without sin. Now, I know I'm not, but you're looking on, or somebody else might be looking on going, wow, but you're just, you sing every note in tune, Brian, and, and your hair just falls perfectly right, and your clothes are all, you, you, you look perfect. Well, most people aren't. In my case, uh, I'm not either. <laughs> Big sinner with a giant capital S. I wish I weren't. But if I were to be die right now, I would be in the presence of the Lord, perfect in the light. There wouldn't have had to go through this transition. Oh, I got to get Brian out of the gunky darkness first. Oh, okay. Cleanse him off here. Okay. Now we've got some light on him. Okay. Now he can go to Jesus. No, I, I'm perfectly in the light right now. But Brian, you're sinning. But Christ's blood is cleansing me. We're going to get to Ephesians 5, and we're going to see that, that Christ sees his bride, and he wants his bride to be without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. So again, he 24 hours a day, seven day a week, is, is helping us get all the wrinkles out, taking out the spot, making us perfect before him to be that bride as all believers. So again, whatever walking in the light is, he means walking in the light isn't that I am actually walking a sinless life, but as I am attempting to walk as Jesus walked in the light, he will make it so. Isn't that awesome? The struggle's real, isn't it? The struggle to follow Jesus, the struggle to fight our sinful nature, it's real and it's daily and it's constant. And Jesus understands this. But remember, it's not one or two of us. Satan wants you to believe it's just you. Everybody else at church is doing great. You are the big giant black spot at church. You are the one fleshly guy all week. Everybody else is, you know, digging deep and living obedient. And, and then there's you. That's a lie, guys. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. There's no temptation that's overtaken you except what? That which is common to everybody. We're all got the same stuff, don't we? Ugh. Romans 7.14.15, you know this well. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Do I get a big amen on that? I bet I get a big one after verse 17 to 20 of Romans 7 as well. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that in me, hold it, hold it, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to, to will it's present with me. I want to live for God perfectly. I want to obey perfectly. I want to be righteous and pure and holy. That's my 
heart every second. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to my spirit. My spirit speaking to his spirit. I want to be like you, Jesus. Get me out of this stinking world, out of this stinking flesh. I never want to smell, taste, hear Satan or any demon ever again. I just want perfect righteousness. That's what's going on inside us. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. I, anybody got an answer for me? I'm struggling and, and I, I throw my hands up going, I don't know what to do. Then he says in verse 20, now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So Paul is breaking apart his spirit from his body. Our spirit, guys, is perfect and holy and righteous. Because God has made it so. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And we now have become the righteousness of Christ. So if I could take my spirit out of my body right now, you would see me exactly like Jesus. Perfect in righteousness. Perfect in purity. Perfect in holiness. But take that spirit, put back in my body, and we all go, yuck. So Paul is saying, hold, hold, hold. It's not my spirit becoming unrighteous. It's not my spirit losing my salvation. It's not my spirit proving I was never predestined before the foundations of the world, which is, doesn't happen, period. It's, it's my flesh. The answer is, get rid of my flesh and I get rid of sin. But that can't happen. So he goes on now in Romans 7, verse 21 to 25. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in the members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, my human flesh. O wretched man that I am, this human flesh. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you guys know what that term is? The, the, the Assyrians and the Romans, they had a, a way of, if a guy murdered somebody, they would take the murdered person's body and tie them to it, mummify them to it. And the person would be put to death through the corroding body they murdered. So Paul's saying, my flesh is like face-to-face with my spirit. All that yucky goo is just corroding my spirit. That's the way I feel. What's the answer? Just one tiny little sentence. I thank God, God the Father, through or by the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Man, this struggle's going on and it's real. This struggle's going on and it's real and I'm failing. This struggle's going on and it's real and I don't know how to not fail. Man, it's deep. It's deep. It's it's wretched. It's bad. It's a body of death. Now, I think sometimes, again, Christians mix up. They think, oh, my spirit got saved and it changed some of the molecules in my body. 
And I think if I keep living in the spirit, this godly life, all the molecules in my body are going to start getting holy. And my brain is going to start rewiring itself to be holy. And one day, even in this body, I'll be holy as my spirit is holy. I, I know most people can't do that, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm determined to make it happen. It, it doesn't. We're going to learn today the flesh is actually growing in corruption. That's why the Lord said it before the flood, I'm not letting man live very long anymore. <laughs> you let him live a couple hundred years, they all become corrupt. Amen to that. Years ago, I asked Gail Irwin, I'm like, hey, when is it? Like, when you get to 50, you really start, stop struggling with a lot of the sin of the youth, you know? And he's like, well, when do you struggle with sin? Isn't it when you feel weak? Isn't it when you're tired? Isn't it when you're irritable? I'm like, yeah. He goes, hit 50, you're like that every day. <laughs> the old grumpy man syndrome, you got to fight against that. So thank be through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then on the mind myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In Hebrews 4.14, it says this, seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who? Jesus, the son of God, do what? Let us hold fast our confession. Don't let go. As we see the end of Romans 7, Paul's saying, I, I, I'm struggling and I'm never going to win. And then he comes back by saying, but I'm holding my confession. Jesus is Lord. And we have the same thing here being said. Jesus is Lord. So hang on. Jesus has promised eternal life to those who believe, right? John 3, 16, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. John 10, all the sheep who hear my voice and they come to me shall not perish, but I have them in my hand and of them I lose none. In Romans 8, neither height nor depth nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come. That's the one we're worried about, right? If I'm struggling this much now, how much am I struggling next week? Hey, things present nor things to come, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Hold on to your confession. Jesus is Lord. And then he goes on, a familiar passage to all of us, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus sympathizes, is what he's saying. You've got a sympathetic high priest. You don't have a religious, pharisaical high priest going, I'm doing it, why aren't you? Yeah, I have the same thing. I'd love to give into my flesh, but I don't. So why don't you get your act together? Okay, I'll pray for you. Get out of here. That's not our high priest. Our high priest goes, oh, 33 years, and you've been here 60. Oh, so sorry, Brian. We can hold on to our confession because our high priest sympathizes. And then he says in verse 16, what do we do? How do we break this pattern? How do we have victory in the midst of a fleshly sinful body? Come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and find mercy to help in the time of need. Satan wants you to think that God's getting irritated at you coming. God's getting perturbed that you're so weak. God's getting overwhelmed with your sinful condition. 
Like, oh man, I've seen sinners sin, but not like you. I mean, 2,000 years of some really sinful people, but never like you. I'm not sure. Hey, Gabriel, is his name really in the book of life? It is? You're kidding. Ooh, okay. That's what Satan wants you to think. No. Jesus Christ paid for all of your sins on the cross 2,000 years in advance. He knows all the sins you'll commit in your lifetime. He's already paid for them. So we need to come boldly. Satan wants you to think, yeah, you're, you're, you're the weak link here at church. You're the leak wink of Christianity. You're, you're a lemon. God didn't really want you. No, I'm a lemon. God picked me. I, 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 I'm not righteous, Satan. <laughs> I'm not holy in myself, Satan. You, you're right about that. God got stuck with the the, the, the short end of the stick when he got me. But he loves me. I'm his kid. He loves me. I'm his sheep. He loves me. I'm the bride of Christ. C- could you imagine some guy who's going to get married in a couple of weeks and you're, you're like going, she's sort of ugly. You're telling the guy going, do you like that hairstyle? I, I, I mean, does she have any attractive clothes at all? You're really going to marry her? I mean, could you, could you imagine Christ is coming any moment, guys, and we are his bride. And Satan dares, man dares to say, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're a bunch of weak people. They're a bunch of failures. They're a bunch of sinners. We're beautiful to Christ. We come boldly into that throne going, oh, Jesus, the wedding's coming. It's close. The married supper of the lambs around the corner. The Antichrist is president. We're almost there. Oh, no, I didn't say that. Um, (laughs) In Romans 5.20, but where sin abounded, what happens? Grace abounded much more. Proverbs 24.16, the righteous man, what does what? Falls seven times and rises again. So you see, I would have thought the Bible would have said, the righteous man, he does not fall seven times. Two and a half, yes. But the moment he falls the third time, we quit calling him the righteous man. We, we start calling him the guy who's attempting to be righteous. No, he, he falls seven times, which is the number of saying, this is a regular occurrence. It's not saying just seven times. They're saying the righteous man is still a righteous man, but he is also constantly falling and struggling, but he's still a righteous man. Why? Because he can rise again, because where our sin abounds, grace abounds more, because he can daily, second by second, if he needs to, come boldly into the throne of grace and get all the grace and the mercy he needs. So following Jesus and obeying him must be motivated out of love, not fear. 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected amongst us in this, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is right now. Well, how is Jesus right now? He's in his resurrected body with the Father in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We saw in Ephesians 2 early, we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when we think about judgment, we think, and, and, and we rightly think, Men are going to go to eternal hell for the very same sin I'm struggling with. 
That's humbling. That's humbling to me. Christ Christ is going to say, you are a thief. You are a liar. You are an adulterer. And the wages of sin is eternal damnation. And you're there watching the judgment of the damned. And you're going, oh man, but I, I, I'm so humbled right now because the sins that God is judging for eternal damnation are things that I've done in my flesh and I've struggled in my flesh. This is humbling. But nevertheless, we say, I'm 100% forgiven. I've been washed in the blood of Christ. I'm not going to heaven because I'm worthy. I'm not going to heaven because I'm so much better than all sinners that are going to hell. Quite the opposite. Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? The rich man went into Hades. Lazarus went into the bosom of Abraham. But what do we find out about that rich guy? He says, Father Abraham, allow Lazarus to put his finger in water and put it upon my tongue for this place I'm at is a place of torment. And Abraham says, no, there's a chasm. It can't be crossed. And you and your lifetime fared sumptuously. But he goes, ask Lazarus if he will, because I helped that guy out continually. He was a poor guy in my neighborhood. I helped him out all the time. And Father Abraham said, nope, doesn't matter. And what's this guy in Haiti say? Well, screw you and screw you. Start cursing everybody. No, we see goodness in this guy. He's like, I'm dead. I, I have no hope. But could you send Lazarus back to help my four brothers? We see love. We see concern. We see a guy who has an evangelistic heart. We don't see some evil guy that deserves hell more than we do. We see somebody who didn't put their faith in the one way of salvation. So we have boldness because we are counting on the work of Christ to forgive us of our sins. Jesus became the Lamb of God who took away our sin through his death and resurrection. We're saved, not because I have or am or will be living some worthy life where God owes me by merit heaven. Not going to be the case. In 1 John 4.18, Therefore, there is how much? No fear in love. Say it with me. There is no fear in love. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Again, in verse 17, God causes us to be bold in the face of judgment. We just saw in John 4, 17. He who fears has not been perfected in love. Now, people often will jump in and say, hold it, hold it. The Bible says in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. The beginning of knowledge is fear of God. That's, again, a translation of a Hebrew word that did mean something differently when it was originally translated. Today, that, that word just simply has the meaning of fear. At one time, it equally had the understanding of respect or honor. You know, fear the king, he tells us in Peter. Be good to all men and fear the king. Respect the king. Honor the king. We, we need to have a, a heart to honor God. 
to, to respect God. This is God's word. I don't care what the Bible says. Ooh, man, let me stand back. Let me get away from you here. Man, I, I have a friend who never, I'll be at his house and I'll put something on top of his Bible. Get that off my Bible. You know, nothing goes on top of the Bible. And it's like, well, a little legalistic, but in his heart, it's just like, man, I just, I just so respect God's word. I would never set anything on top of that. I have to honor that. I like that. And so the word of God to us today is from the lips of Jesus in, in Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure, I love that, to give you the kingdom. In Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He doesn't say you shall fear God. And just remember, any point in time he needs to, he can just kick off the salvation and kick on the eternal judgment. Whoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. Maybe. We're going to see. And so now I'm living as a Christian and I'm struggling and God's like, yeah, read the fine print at the bottom of the page. It doesn't work for you anymore because you're being too sinful. You're struggling too much. You're being too apathetic. You're not being diligent and committed the way I anticipated you would be when I quoted John 3.16 to you. So now all of a sudden we, okay, 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 okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up. I'll pick up the pace. I'll start being better. Please don't, don't, don't put me in the probationary book. Okay, put his name back in the book of life, Gabriel. Quit erasing. Okay, I'm going to put you back in there, but just let you know the eraser's right here, buddy. God doesn't want that. I mean, imagine, if you would, with me, that you decide to adopt this six-year-old boy. And, and you say, man, it's taken two years, and we've gone and seen him every week, and we love him. He's been to our house numerous times, and, and, and you have this big party of, of adopting this six-year-old boy. And you say, you're part of our family. This is your brothers and sisters. Here's your room. And the little boy is just, you know, so glad to be in the home, but... The first dinner, he's got perfect manners. And then as soon as dinner's over, he starts cleaning off the table and doing the dishes. And, and you're like, hey, what, what's going on? Oh, I'm, 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 this, this is the way it's always going to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, be so good. And the other kids are, you know, throwing the peas and making a mess. And, and the parents got to say, get back here and get your plate and take it to the sink. And, no, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. And the, and the little boy, you say, it's time to go to bed. And he jumps in bed and he's right there. I did exactly what you said, Mom. Dad. He gets up the next morning. He's making breakfast. <laughs> I hope you like the coffee like this, Dad. I hope, you know. And you send him off to school. And later that day, you hear this knock at the door. And there he is. Hi, can I come in? Of course you can come in. This is your house. I, I know, but I, I didn't want to be presumptuous. Well, don't knock on the door anymore. This is your house. Can I, can I go to my room? Of course you can go to your room. I'm going to get all my homework done. You don't have to tell me you have to do it. And then Saturday comes. All the kids are playing outside, and he's right there with Dad. 
watching the football game. He has no idea what's going on. Hey, Dad, can I rub your feet? No. Can I get you some chips? No. Don't you want to go play with the other kids? No, I want to be with you, Dad. I want to help you. Here, let me give your hand a massage. And this keeps on going like this. The next school day, he's knocking on the door again. The next night, he's perfectly in bed. Everything's obedient. Cleaning off the table. Getting up early. Would you say, hey, don't knock it. This is great. We got an obedient kid. No big deal. Or would you be grieved? Would you take that little boy's face and say, we're never taking you back. (laughs) You're never going to get unadopted. Matter of fact, I, I would like you to be bad a couple of times because this is getting really uncomfortable having a perfect kid. And you can just feel his tension and you can feel his little tummy. He's getting an ulcer and, and, and he's... Do you, do you understand? God doesn't want that with anybody. He's doing everything he can to let, him, to let you know that he loves you. You're part of the family. You can relax. He understands your frame. He knows you're but dust. As a father pities a child, so the Lord pities you. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. His mercies are new every morning. He'll forgive every sin, cast it in the deepest sea. He will forgive every sin as God as far as the east as the west. He'll cleanse you and keep on cleansing. You just keep walking with him as he's walking just keep walking and his blood will keep cleansing you from all sin. And yes, we're going to have, get grieved in the spirit. Yes, we're going to feel like we're quenching the spirit. And we are. And we bring that to God going, God, your spirit's grieved right now. Your spirit's convicting me. My spirit's grieved. My spirit's convicting me. And the Lord's going, yes, let's talk about this. And, and as a father would instruct a son, it's God's loving kindness and tender mercies that's wooing us unto himself continually. And that's the only relationship he is willing to have with anybody. And that takes a lot of faith. God loves me? That's a lot of faith. God will forgive all my sins? You don't know what you're signing up for there, buddy. I'm not like the average person. I sin like, I think, five times as much as everybody else sins. That's my impression of myself. And God, God is saying, I know all things. I, I only want a relationship based on faith where you rest in me, where you trust in me. It's not about your faithfulness. It's about me being faithful and living 33 years without sin so I could faithfully be a lamb without blemish, without spot, for you. It's not about your works of righteousness. It's about my singular work of the cross. It's not about you being righteous. It's about you by faith receiving that you are righteous through me because I died paying for all your sins and rose again, conquering all your sins. So all your sins are conquered. So when you sin now, you're still righteous because I'm giving that to you as a position, as a gift. And nothing can ever happen. No one's going to ever steal it. Satan can lie all he wants, but he can never change it. It's you having faith and trusting in him. This is why, guys, it has to be grace upon grace. 
This is essential that of his fullness we all receive. It starts with grace. It ends with grace. It's the gospel of grace. It's the word of grace that will ensure our inheritance and build us up in Christ. And it's impossible to teach and to talk about too much grace. See, this is the thing. You're not teaching grace enough until people think you're teaching grace too much. And then you know you're doing it right. Even Paul, they're they're like going, you're confusing us with this grace stuff. It sounds like you're actually encouraging people to go out and sin so they can get more grace. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. And then he turns around and says, by the way, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. You did say it. No, I didn't say go sin. I just said, if you do sin, it sounds pretty close to the same to me, Paul. Well, they're not the same. Well, Brian, aren't you a little afraid if you tell everybody every sin's forgiven that God's always going to have mercy and grace upon them? That might actually encourage them not to be diligent as a Christian and, and to not live a holy life. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a real possibility. That's our human nature. We want to always test the freedom, right? We always want to test the boundaries. You know, you, you send the kid out and say, hey, go into the woods and, and roam around. They're going to go as far as they can go. You know, we've all thought about being on the Autobahn where there's no speed limits, right? Going, oh, we're on 405. Let's pretend this is the Autobahn. It's, it's, yeah, we test the limits, but it's a real thing. We really are born again. God's spirit really lives in us. It's not some imaginary thing we're making up and agreeing to. There really is a God. Jesus is the number one historical figure. The entire dating system of the entire world is around his birth. There's more written about Jesus than any other man in history. This is, this is a fact. Yes, our foolish heart will test the boundaries. And you know what happens? We get spanked. Galatians 6 says, whatever you sow in the flesh, you'll reap in corruption. God, God doesn't have to spank you. I, I remember we had this condo, and right outside our condo is really slippery. I don't know why. When you got a little bit of water or mist, it was just, they did the concrete wrong. It was just slippery. I remember Cheryl was gone to the women's retreat, and, and, uh, and I had all three of the kids. One of them was a baby, and, you know, getting ready, trying to get out the door to preach on Sunday morning while they're at the retreat, and, you know, just you're getting ready to go. The baby spits up all over. you got to change shirts. And, and, and my oldest son, Nathan, at that time was like four years old, and I said, I'm going to open the front door, and I got two of the kids in my arms. Do not run, because he ran everywhere. We're going to walk very quietly, very carefully, very slowly so we don't slip. You got it? Yeah. We're not running. Right. We're going to walk. Yeah. Got it. I open the door. (laughs) Off he goes. (laughs) Hits the asphalt. Hits his head. I've got baby in each arm. My Bible. I'm like, Nathan, you're spanking yourself when you're, when you're, conscious come to the car you know (laughs) I I don't think God's really got a I think he can just give us his loving kindness and tender mercies because I think we'll just keep spanking ourselves and reaping what we sow 
In John 8, 34, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. That's just the real reality. You, get, you start getting addicted and you can't think about anything else or do anything else. And you just, it just starts getting so fruitless. You're just like, this is miserable. This is a miserable way to live. But God's just going to continue to be, have patience and mercy and love and just wait for us to wake up and to realize walking purely in purity is just better than impurity. Walking holy is just better than walking in the flesh. Being honest and truthful and honorable and people seeing you that way is better than people seeing you as a, a person who's sort of waffly on the truth and not so honest in business. But it has to be from a response of love, not of fear. Romans 2 said it's the loving kindness and tender mercies. We see the prodigal son story. He, he didn't come back for a while because he wasn't sure that the dad would even accept him at all. But he finally said, oh, my dad will accept me as the lowest slave. How wrong he was. The father came out each day to look for his son, and he had a robe, he had sandals, he had a ring. He was ready to, to make him fully blessed the moment he was inside. We learned very practically that walking in holiness is freedom. In Romans 8, 6, the carnal mind is death, but the spiritual mind is life and peace. And eventually, you just want to be at peace. As good as the flesh feels, as wonderful as it feels to have the flesh pleased, it's just better to have peace. In Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. That's the rhetorical no. But then he says, yep, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So above all, God does not want a relationship with us out of fear, but out of love. Again, in 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out of fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now here's the key, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. We're walking with him. He has blessed us and overwhelmed us with kindness and patience and goodness and love. What kind of relationship did the prodigal son with ha have with his dad <laughs> after his dad put the robe and the ring and the sandals and had a feast for him? He left with the immaturity, not being able to appreciate his dad at all. All the rules here, my dad's so holy and he's so righteous and he's so pure and uh, I'm sick of all this. I got to get out of here and go where I really want to go. Need a lot of money to do it, but... But he's coming back and he's just like, oh, I love being with my dad. He's just so merciful and kind. And he's, he's just blessing me. He could embarrass me. He could put me on probation. He, he could humiliate me, but he's just loving on me. I love him. In 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected amongst us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Again, John 3, 16, we shall not perish because as he is, so are we in this world. And um, like I said, we're going to look at verse 21 today. Yeah, and we'll pick up in verse 22 next week. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for washing us in the water of the word. 
Thank you, Lord, for filling us up, overflowing with the work of your spirit. Thank you for the joy and the fellowship we have with such a wonderful, wonderful Savior. If you're here today, or maybe through live streaming, you're listening to this message, or maybe you'll hear this message five, ten years from now. This is the Lord right now asking you to walk by faith and trust in him and in his nature and in his work of the cross and in his love and patience and kindness and goodness. And you would keep having faith in him. He doesn't ask you to have faith in the church. He doesn't ask you to join an organization. He's asking you to walk with him. And if you've not put your faith in Christ right now, just do it. Nothing more needs to be done. Whoever believes in his heart, Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, you're saved. There may be some of you that it would help to have that moment of faith if you pray. So let me pray a prayer and let it express the attitude of your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your only begotten Son to be the Lamb of God to take away my sin. Thank you for the perfect Lamb who would take all my sins, be my substitute, die in the place of my judgment, my wrath, and raise again conquering sin and death. Thank you for your eternal kindness and mercy towards me. Thank you that when I am weak, you'll strengthen me. When I am walking disobediently, you'll just keep loving on me and leading me by your kindness into a place where I'm walking out of love righteously for you, that my motive only is to love you. And Lord, we thank you right now for everyone hearing these words, your kingdom would come, your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.